Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll talk about some new research being done by AAFC researchers on phytoplasma diseases. Also, we'll get a weather update from Bruce Burnett. And up first in today's country comment, we'll talk about another discovery of chronic wasting disease in a mule deer in southwestern Manitoba. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development is advising that a second deer infected with chronic wasting disease has been detected in Manitoba and additional steps are being taken as part of the provincial emergency response to the initial discovery. The second CWD case was found in a mule deer as part of routine surveillance from an animal observed to be emaciated and acting erratically in an area just north of the U.S. border and near the Saskatchewan border. Maria Arlt is the Assistant Director of Wildlife, Fisheries and Resource Enforcement with the province. We have a lot to do and a short period of time to respond if we're going to have a chance of stopping chronic wasting disease from establishing itself in Manitoba. With that in mind, We've been very active in the local community from the time we received the very first positive test result. With many cases of chronic waste and disease detected in Saskatchewan and the Northern United States, we've long had a surveillance program in place and testing protocols for deer that are harvested within these areas of concern. So we have been watching for this and now it's here. Over the past number of weeks since we received that initial detection, We've been consulting with other jurisdictions, colleagues, and experts in areas including Alberta, Saskatchewan, and the United States. And we've received one clear piece of advice. We keep hearing this over and over, and that is that we need to act quickly and we need to act decisively. So starting Monday, December 13th, the next phase of our emergency disease response will begin. So what this means is in the immediate area around the initial chronic wasting disease finding, which is near Lake of the Prairies, Manitoba, Manitoba will be launching a temporary localized deer depopulation with testing of every deer harvested to better understand prevalence and potential distribution of chronic wasting disease from the initial detection site. This next step is our best chance to eradicate chronic wasting disease around this initial finding and to effectively prevent the spread to other parts of the province. We've spoken to landowners in the area. We've requested permission to access their land as part of this operation. If any landowner was not comfortable with granting us access, we will be avoiding those areas and we will not go on their land. We believe we have significant landowner support for this temporary effort. We also don't wanna see any animals go to waste. So once deer have been tested and found to be CWD free, the meat will be made available on a priority basis to indigenous communities that have been affected by hunting closures and also to local landowners upon request. This is not going to be easy, but it is an evidence-based response to a very serious disease and it's our best chance to stop chronic wasting disease in its tracks and then allow herds in this area to rebuild. So as time goes on, we can once again have deer as a part of the landscape in this province.
That was Maria Arlt, Assistant Director of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Resource Enforcement with the province. She was updating us on a second case of chronic wasting disease found in a mule deer in southwestern Manitoba. That was today's country comment. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. The federal government recently announced enhanced and expanded financing opportunities through Farm Credit Canada for young farmers and young food business owners. Curtis Granger is FCC's Director of Lending Products and Sustainability. So our young entrepreneur loan and our young farmer loans have actually increased their thresholds. They in the past were $1 million, and now that's been increased to $1.5 million. And FCC has also made some adjustments to our FCC starter loan, where before that, that product was only eligible for people between 18 and 25, up to $50,000. We've actually increased that to um, $150,000 and expanded the eligibility to people beyond the age of 25. Since April of 2019, FCC has approved over 6,700 loans specifically tailored for young producers and entrepreneurs worth almost $2.1 billion. Canada's food price report for 2022 forecasts an overall food price increase of 5-7% to for the coming year, the highest predicted increase since the inception of the report. The most significant increases are predicted for dairy and restaurants at 6-8% and bakery and vegetables at 5-7%. Dr. Stuart Smith is the University of Saskatchewan campus lead. And we still have some impacts from COVID affecting production and, and distribution. We've uh, additionally on the on the transportation side, we've we've had problems with the rail and, and road through the southern BC. On the labor side of things, there's been a shortage of foreign workers capable of assisting with production and, and harvesting of fruits and vegetables. And also throughout North America, there's just a general shortage of, of truck drivers. So it's there's delays in, in moving products from, from point A to point B. and Inflation's now knocking on 5%. So, you know, you pull all of these factors together and sort of wallops food prices. Canada's Food Price Report is an annual cross-country collaboration jointly released by research partners Dalhousie University and the University of Guelph, as well as the University of Saskatchewan and the University of British Columbia. And Seeds Canada has identified a need for additional input concerning stakeholder requirements for a future seed system and will be initiating a summit that would bring together all value chain participants impacted by the seeds regulations. In a news release, the group says there is broad agreement that a review of the regulatory framework is required as the last major review of the framework was completed back in 1996. The intention behind the summit would be to assess the current regulatory environment and ask stakeholders what they need from a modernized seed system in Canada. Seeds Canada will keep stakeholders appraised of summit plans as they develop. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, December 13th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get a weather update from Bruce Burnett with Markets Farm. Last week's virtual farm forum event brought together some key speakers, including Bruce Burnett, the Director of Weather and Markets for Markets Farm. Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler focuses in on the highlights from his presentation on the weather. Burnett started out by reviewing this year's dry conditions. This past year was a really stressful year on a lot of farmers across the Western Canada. Uh, It was the most severe drought since 1988, uh, no question about it. Uh, In fact, in some respects, it was even worse than 1988 because a larger area was impacted than we had back in 1988. Uh, Rainfall deficits through the growing season were between 50 and 200 millimeters. 
So substantial rainfall deficits and temperatures are the warmest since 88 as well, with a number of all-time records falling across the prairie. So really a hot, dry, um, uh, I guess you would say typical prairie drought conditions that we've experienced last year. And that really hurt production on the prairies. The bulk of the prairies was drier than normal. Areas that saw that 200 millimeter deficit stretch from southern Alberta over and into northeast Saskatchewan. The only areas that didn't report deficits were parts of south-central Saskatchewan, south of Regina. So what's ahead now? Burnett says the main weather factor going forward is La Nina. The Markets Farm winter outlook is calling for below normal temperatures in eastern prairies and above normal snowfall in the parkland region of the areas. Unfortunately, we do see that the drought probably continues in the southwestern growing areas of the prairies this year. That's really bad news, and I think it's going to have an impact on a number of the crops that we grow that are specific to that area. What happens during a La Nina, and all La Ninas are a bit different. We all remember last year, uh, again, we were expecting uh, probably colder weather and snowier weather, and we didn't get either of them last year. But this year, it seems to be setting up a little more along this typical pattern. You have a, an Aleutian high-pressure system, pushes the polar jet stream up to the north, and it nosedives across the prairies. So again, especially on the eastern prairies, probably remain cooler than normal. Uh, along that storm track, we tend to get a lot of storms. So again, we'll see probably above average precipitation uh, into the parkland areas of the prairies. Uh, that's more or less what usually happens uh, during a La Nina. Unfortunately, in the southwestern parts of the prairies, uh, we tend to be dry, more or less, uh, during a La Nina, unless a few systems escape. And that's our hope this year, is that happens. The other thing to note is that Pacific jet stream um, that's uh, essentially... Uh, uh, been supplying all these wet conditions to southern BC, uh, the northwestern coastal areas of the, of the U.S. as well. Uh, so again, this is fairly typical for La Nina that we see a very active Pacific jet stream, and it tends to set up in a particular area, uh, you know, from northern California all the way up to the BC coast. This year, unfortunately, BC's seen uh, the brunt of the activity here so far. That's Bruce Burnett, the Director of Weather and Markets for Markets Farm. Later this week, we'll hear his presentation looking at the wheat and Durham markets. For Golden West, I'm Glendale Allen Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen Wassler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The 26th annual Fields on Wheels conference takes place virtually tomorrow. Go to their website for details. The Canadian Forage and Grassland Association's annual conference is planned for December 14th to the 16th. In an online setting, you can go to canadianfga.ca. The Manitoba Ag Museum is hosting a Winter Wonderland December 17th to the 19th from 4 to 8 p.m. The entry fee is $10 per family. Proof of vaccination for guests age 12 and up is required. And looking ahead, Manitoba Agriculture will be offering environmental farm plan workshops over the winter. These will be held online. Visit the Manitoba Agriculture website to register. 
Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, phytoplasma diseases in plants can create yield losses in several types of crops from blueberries to canola. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada researchers are developing a molecular method to quickly determine the presence of these pathogens early on. I caught up with AAFC research scientist Tim Dumonceau. Phytoplasmas are bacteria and they are uh, spread from plant to plant by, uh, by leaf-feeding insects called leafhoppers. Uh, primarily in Western Canada would be a, an insect called Macrostelis quadrilineatus. And it, uh, it's a little tiny insect, like the, the size of the head of a pencil, that will jump from, um, from leaf to leaf. And when it does its feeding activity, it feeds on the, on, the, on the leaves of the material. And if it carries the phytoplasma bacteria in its saliva it can transmit the uh, disease from one plant to another. And what the disease does, it doesn't have really any impact on the insect at all, except perhaps making it even more um, uh, fit and able to, uh, to reproduce and so forth. Um, but the effect on the plant is pretty profound. It changes the, the plant's development so that it, it doesn't produce proper flower structures or floral structures. It uh, tries to produce more leaves. So it has a different... The plant looks completely different from what is expected. Um, it won't produce very many seeds. It won't produce proper reproductive structures. It in, in typically will intend. Well, looks like it's trying to make more leaf structures, more material for the leaf hoppers to feed on. So, um, since the seeds or the fruit structures are very commonly what is uh, the desirable part of the plant from the producer's perspective, this is a, a very negative outcome and makes the the product kind of unsaleable. Are there um, certain plants uh, where this is more of an issue, or? Well, it affects essentially any kind of a any kind of plant, many weedy species, and virtually any crop species. I haven't heard of a crop species that is really uh, resistant to uh, to phytoplasmas. Um, I um, look at papers from all over the world, and it affects plants everywhere. It affects crop plants absolutely everywhere. So, from palm trees in tropical areas to um, you know, many different crops that aren't grown in Canada, to virtually every uh, kind of crop that is grown in Canada that will be uh, that can be affected by uh, by phytoplasma diseases. So it's very widespread. Um, uh, it's carried by insects, but it, the, the 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 prevalence of the disease varies pretty substantially from year to year. Some years it's pretty bad. Other years it doesn't seem to be as bad. So, um, so that's why a sort of a monitoring system is, uh, is really important. One of the reasons you want to identify it early is because by the time you see symptoms on the plant, so the plant looks like it's not developing properly, um, it's really too late. Um, the, the, the infection happened a few weeks ago with the feeding of the insects. So you really want to be able to catch this disease before the symptoms develop. And the leafhoppers um, will arrive um, in, the, in the early spring and they'll start um, feeding on the leaves when the plants are quite young. And then you'll see the, the symptoms develop a little bit later on. By then, it's too late. You should have sprayed for the insects, for example, a few weeks ago to control the, uh, the disease. So um, to catch them early is kind of what the, uh, the whole idea of that project was, to develop a fast diagnostic method to be able to detect the presence of that bacterium um, certainly in the plants, and that was the focus of our, of our blueberry work, um, but also in the insects that can spread the, uh, the disease from plant to plant because that helps a producer know when, uh, when they should be um, 
uh, spraying to control the insects. Because that's really the only treatment is to, uh, to control the insects themselves. And, uh, yeah, I guess just talk a bit more about this rapid diagnostic diagnostic test and, and when it will be available for um, producers and agronomists. Right. So this rapid diagnostic test is based on uh, detecting the, the nucleic acid, so basically the DNA of the bacterium in um, either leaf samples or floral samples from the plants or in the insect samples themselves. So um, the, the method is it's a very rapid kind of a method. Many people in the context of COVID have heard of polymerase chain reaction or PCR, which is kind of the gold standard test for detecting the presence of of viral messenger or viral RNA from uh, from the COVID, the virus causing COVID. Well, this is a different kind of uh, of, of a nucleic acid based test called LAMP, and it's much faster. So the PCR process might take. Uh, a few hours, whereas the the lamp, um, depending on how much uh, back target bacterial DNA is there, can uh, can render a positive result in under ten minutes. And the, there's less processing that has to go in place. So a big part of the the delay in getting testing results is transporting the samples back to the lab, then processing them in batches and reporting out the results. But with this test, it's very portable, so we can bring the test out to the field process the samples, whether it's plants or insects there, and then, um, and then pro- provide a result uh, kind of on-site or much, much more rapidly. That was Tim Dumonceau. He's a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Canada's food prices are expected to rise 5 to 7% in 2022. That, according to Canada's Food Price Report, which is jointly released by research partners Dalhousie University and the University of Guelph, as well as the University of Saskatchewan and the University of BC. Dr. Stuart Smith is the University of Saskatchewan campus lead. I think one of the, the interesting things that comes out of it is, you know, the opportunity, particularly on the meat side, for consumers to support local farmers. I've, I've talked to you know, numerous farmers that said you know, they're certainly willing to, to sell meat through a local abattoir to, to people that are interested. In, and so, you know, get together with a family member or some friends and, and um, track down a farmer that, that's willing to help um, sell some meat locally. And you're supporting a local farmer and, and it'll save you some money over two or three months for sure. This year's report predicts that a family of four will see an increase of up to $966 from the total annual cost in 2021. And the federal government recently announced enhanced and expanded financing opportunities through Farm Credit Canada for young farmers and young food business owners. FCC has increased the lifetime maximum amount it will approve for the young farmer and young entrepreneur loans from $1 million to $1.5 million. Additionally, the eligibility and lifetime maximum approval of the starter loan have been expanded and increased. Curtis Granger is FCC's Director of Lending Products and Sustainability. We're wanting to improve the access of capital that really allows young people, so whether that be farm families, producers, and really just business entrepreneurs to enter the agriculture value chain, grow their business, pursue their dreams. And it's really a strong and diverse industry that we think is uh, just gets more powerful with, with the more people uh, that get involved. And uh, yeah, so it's a pretty exciting program. Since April of 2019, FCC has approved over 6,700 loans specifically tailored for young producers and entrepreneurs worth almost $2.1 billion. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program.
We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.